0: in our attempt to piece together what a Jewish state, what a Jewish uh, future could look like and how we can get there and how we can avoid the errors of the past that took us to the destructions that we are on the way to re-experiencing. So for the next couple of weeks, I wanna talk about the idea, and I think it comes up in a few different contexts, of the Jewish people failing to see what they need to see. And it's an issue, it bothers me greatly in our times because and everybody has their own opinion, but certainly I am of the belief that there are unfortunately things that we are refusing to see that we should be seeing and that will end up hurting us. And I bring it up not as, I hope not as a scold or a way to, uh, to berate, but as a way to think about what we need to know and to see so that we can prepare for the future and bring about the best possible future. In that light, I'd like to compare and to think about the fasts of Asara and Shiva Asara B'tamuz. Shiva Asar is the one that's more near, but they share a quality that I'm not sure that we notice. So to get to that, let's uh, remember a Mishnah in Ta'anit, which speaks about Kamishad Vareem. There were five events that occurred on Shiva Asara Tammuz. where it's more famous, I think, there are five events that occurred on Tish B'Av, on the 9th of Ab, starting with the crying over the spies. And the tradition is that Hashem said, you cried over the spies, so I'm going to give you a day in which there are going to be many, many tragedies. And that's Tish It's not our topic, and I'm not even going to come around Tish Tisha Abba'ab itself so much in that context because that sort of, they did a wrong thing and it had reverberations forever. I'm more interested in the kinds of events that we can do better the next time around. So the five events of Shiva Asar uh, were, uh, the Gemara says, Later on, Bet, 26b, Mishtabru Notice that it says the Luchot were broken, although we all know that Moshe broke them. So that's, it happened as if, as if it was brought about, meaning it's sort of absolving Moshe of full responsibility for what happened. Ubatila tamid and the offering of the daily sacrifice was lost. and the walls in the city were breached, which was the one that I was always taught growing up. apostemos a Torah and apostemos was a Roman general burned the Savior Torah at some event, some situation. I think other versions have it as but a statue. A, not just a statue, but a statue with idolatrous intent was placed in the the room of the Beit the sanctuary of Beit Hamikdash. So, before we can learn any lessons from this, we have to be sure we know and understand what each of these events were. So, the Gemara later, a couple of pages later, in Kaf Bet 28b, picks up on the question of what's going on here. So it says al and how do we know that it was the sixteenth, the seventeenth of Tammuz? So they say, because the Torah was given on the 6th of Sivan, that's a discussion of its own that comes up. We spoke about it back when we were still speaking about the counting of the Omer, right? But in the Gemara's uh, reconstruction of the events of the year the Jews left Har Sinai, the 6th of Sivan was when they received the Torah. Moshe went up on the 7th, and he was up on the mountain for 40 days, right? So uh, that's the Passover, 40 days and 40 nights. If you count from the 6th of Sivan, you get 24 more days in Sivan. Notice that the Gemara assumes that even though in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, the calendar would have been set by witnesses rather than a fixed calendar. Here and in other places, the Gemara assumes the fixed calendar generally captures what would have happened even with witnesses as well. Just a side comment to pick up on. So you had 24 days of Sivan, 16 more of Tammuz is 40. It means Moshe came down on the 17th and they were already sadly involved in the uh, calf worship. And he threw down the, um, threw down the Lukot and he broke the Nagatavah 3 the Lukot. The says, as it says. That's the first event. So what I'm going to suggest, just so you can try to see if you can anticipate the idea, what I'm going to suggest, the Gemara thinks all the five events are similar to each other or share a characteristic. And it's that characteristic that is supposed to typify Shiv Asar B'tamuz, and from which, maybe we can learn a lesson, and the lesson being a way in which we can avoid having that happen to us again. So, the first one was Moshe breaks the Luchot. Luchot got broken, notice. Notice the phrasing, got broken. Then, B'tel Hatami. B'tel Hatami means that in the in the siege, before the Beta HaMikdash got destroyed, they ran out of animals. Their stories that think more about how maybe even the people doing the siege would give me the animals for the Tammid for the sacrifice, and then at some point they stopped, but they ran out of animals, and they stopped the regular sacrifices. The Gemara, Our Gemara says, Gimara, which means, for the Gemara, it means that's a tradition. They don't have a specific source for it. It's just the history that they knew. Huv the city walls got breached. That's a verse in Yirmiyahu. except that. The verse in Yerim speaks about the ninth of the month, right? So Rava says, mm-hmm. kan barishona kan bashnia. That when we pick the 17th, we're talking about the second one, which then makes you think about which what we're commemorating with which uh, fast days. But in this case, we're commemorating the breaching of the walls in the second Beit HaMikdash. Uh, and then the bright uh, of Apostolos burned uh, Sefer Torah, that's a Gemara, that's a tradition. Now, the Maharsha on the words, that's a tradition, the Maharsha says, It is a day ready for punishment, for troubles, for sad things to happen. And on that day, the Luchot were broken. Right? So the Maharsha almost implies that it might not even be that they had a specific tradition about it being on that day, but that when they had a long-standing tradition that apostles burned a sacred Torah, they put it on that day because that's the day of troubles. Of course, if they're going to put it on a day, they could have theoretically put it on Tisha B'Av as well. So the Masha sort of answers one question but not the other. So we'll come back to that. And how do we know that uh, an idol was placed in the Heichal? Because uh, there is a verse in Daniel that says, Ume husar hatamid, it says from the moment or the time when the tummy, the regular offering, was taken away and that their idols were set up. So the verse relates or links the two. So we assume this happened on the same day. Maybe not the same year, but the same time. So what are those things that come together? Right? Why are those the five things? So the five are the Luchot got broken, the sacrifices Stopped the walls, got breached, the Torah got burned, and the statue and the idol was placed in the temple. Okay, we have to put those together somehow. Before we do, let's let's look briefly at the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah on Yuchennim and Bet, where they were the Gemara there is talking about how we set up the calendar and about the months on which we send out messengers so that people can know exactly when the calendar was, meaning in a time before the internet before you have phone, before you have this. So if every month the calendar is being set up by witnesses in the Beit HaMikdash, people all over the world might take a long time to know about it, unless you specifically send messengers out. So the Gemara discussed which month we send messengers out for, and then the Gemara had said, why didn't we send out messengers at the beginning of Tammuz, and the beginning of Tevet, to establish those fast days? So the answer is Dhammar of Khanabar Kahana. I'm sorry, Dhammar of Khanabarbizna, Ambar of Shimon Khassida, he quotes the Trav Khama Barbizna quoting of Shimon Khasidah, Maidhti Komashant Sako, Soma Rivi, Vitsomon Khabishi, Vitsom Hashivi, Vitsomha Sivi, Yell the Bey U Because there is a prediction in Zakaria, it's a whole Navu and Zakaria, they ask what they should fast in this day and this day. And Zakaria says in the future. Those fast days will turn into days of joy. So the Gemara comments, it talks about them as fast days and it speaks about them as days of joy and celebration, of joy and rejoicing, or joy and gladness. So the Gemara says, and this is something that people bring up every year to talk about fast days and at least to some leniencies around what we call the minor fast days, because the Gemara says, When there's peace, when there's calm in the world. And the question is, do we consider our times to be times of calm? There are years more, there's years where it's more uh, likely and years where it's less likely. And in those years when everything's calm, everything's good in the world, it seems like we would say, There'll be times of celebration and joyousness. Whereas, so But if it's not a, a time of peace, and there should be a fasting, but the Gemara says, If that's true, the ninth of Av is included in that. right? When he talks about Soma Chamishi, that's the fifth month. I think we usually assume that's the fifth month. That should be Av, and that should be also be a day that we could be Lesasor and Simka. So our Papa says, Shani Chabe Av will be Chuchbilubot Sarot. This one is different. So means Sarot means there's lots of troubles that happen. And it, is going to point out that. It's odd to say there are lots of troubles that happen to it because they have five and Tisha B'av has five. So Tosus actually says, I'll just do it now and I'll mention it now. Tulsa says in Rosh Hashanah that, I understand Tisha B'av also has five. So it says, well, the five of the Beta Mikdash being burned, that's worse. So then it's not Hukbalu so meaning the number, it's that the Tsarot, the tragedies of Tisha B'av were so more greatly significant that even in a time of peace, we have to. Fast on that, or it also suggests that since the first and second Beit Hamikdash were both destroyed in Shabbat, that's what it means by It's not that there were many times of trouble; it's that the same trouble came again. Now, I think that's interesting in general, but I bring it up here because if we're if we seek to learn from our failures of the past, such that we can do the, the future better. So I'm not going to really talk about Tisha B'Av today, but I point out that the Gemara's idea, Tos's understanding the Gemara's idea, in the second answer is, or in the first answer too, Tulsa's idea is that Tisha B'Av is different and remains a fast day throughout the generations, either because it's so significant in terms of the Tzara of the day is so terrible that we need every year to learn the lesson, or because the saints are happening again, which I think is a way of saying that we had a very specific lesson to learn that we didn't learn. Meaning, even if I say that, let's say, the, the destruction of the lukot, the, the breaking of the lukot, of the tablets, as well as the burning of the Torah in by Apostolos had some similarity, they're not the exact same thing. But to have a people experience the exact same tragedy over again, there's a there's a level of having failed to learn the lessons of the past that's even worse. That's what I understand Tosos to be suggesting, which then means for us, that when our Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says that in times of calm, in times of peace, theoretically, we wouldn't have to fast on Tisha on sorry, not Shabbat, on Shif Asa and or on Asarav I think what it's saying is there's a lesson that we should be learning, can be learning. And there are times in, there are theoretically times in history when it seems like we have learned them and therefore we don't need to fast on those days. So that's a support for the idea that thinking carefully about these two fast days could be very productive for us because A, it could theoretically bring us to a time when we don't have to fast anymore, which is always nice, but even more so because it means we'll have learned the lessons that Hashem sent us these fast days for. So back at the word of Shoshana for a second, Tanya, Amar Yakiva Shimon, right? I'm sorry, we don't need to do this actually. This is the debate of Shim or about which of these months referred to in the verse in Zakaria is Asarab because it refers to soma Asiri. That's the tenth month. I'm sorry, that's the tenth of Tev, but Teved is the tenth month, right? So but it reveals to us that the trouble of Tev of the Asarab was the beginning of the seed. Shebo Samach Melech Bavel al-Yushalaim. That was when Melech Bavel, the king of Bavel, started the siege of Yushalayim. And how do we know that? Because there's a verse in Yechazkel which says, Vahid var In the 10th month, so I'm sorry, the 10th month counts as the 10th month. the way. In the 10th month, on the 10th day, I got a message from Hashem. I got a nevu, a prophecy from Hashem. It said to me, Ben Adam. So write it down now. This is when the siege start. Now, of course, that's the kind of a which at the moment that Yecheskel has it and he writes it down, it's a prophecy, it's a prediction. Because while it's a prediction that's already happening, he only knows it because of the prediction, because in those days you couldn't know it otherwise. So, but the Gemara points out that it calls it Asiri. That means the 10th of the month. But the more points out, this is the first of the tragedies, meaning when Zechai refers to, but the Asiri, if it's Asorbitev, that's earlier, because the Revi is Chivasorbetamus. That's when the walls got breached. And the Kamishi is Be'av. That's when the Beit got destroyed. So you should have written it first. So why didn't you write it first? You didn't write it first because you want it to have the month mentioned in order and then Rabbi Shimon disagrees and he reads the, the verse differently which is not our issue. But it gives us a chance to now say we have the 10th of Teveit and the 10th of Tevet we know is when the siege started. That's one step of it. But we also know that in the case of the 10th of Tevet, Hashem sent a specific nivuah, a specific prophecy to Yechezkel to write it down. And so, as I said a second ago, that will support and, 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 and help show that Yechazkel is an actual prophet because he knows things he shouldn't know and he can only know because I should have told them to him. But what's the value? What's the message in it being written down on that day? Now, then does that maybe relate to Shiva Surbitamus? So let me just share our Radak with you. The Radak says, <laughs> You got the Nevuah, the prophecy, on the 10th of Tevi, and he told him to write it down, to show it to his compatriots in exile, that they should know this happened, and when they hear about it afterwards, they'll know, the Radak says, that there was a prophet in their midst, I think Rabbi Lamb, once gave a talk to rabbis, to know that there is a prophet in Israel. So here. They should know that they had a prophet among them. V'emet heim divarav. lahem That they should know. That he speaks the truth. In the name of God. Says the Radak. And They won't listen to false prophets anymore. Which is. one For one thing. It's probably interesting to me. Because Yechezkel doesn't obviously have the trouble of false prophets. The prophet I would more often connect with the idea of false prophets would be Yemiah, who struggles with that greatly. But the Radak is assuming that even among the Jews, remember that Hezkel is among those Jews who was exiled to to Babylon before the destruction. There were the few... Exiles earlier on in, Jewish, in like a few years before the actual destruction, Yehoi Yachin was exiled by by Nebuchadnezzar, and he, and he takes with him some of the people. Yecheskel is in that group. So, that group who experienced the exile before the destruction, and who, if you look in the book of Yecheskel, some of them come to listen to what he has to say. The Red Doc thinks that Yecheskel struggles as certainly Yemiyahu did. With being heard as a true Navi, as a true prophet. So to me, I have a piece in the Torah Moshe I want to read with you because I think Torah Moshe is the so fair. Because I think it reads and, and says various things, some of which I'm going to say on my own right now, and then we'll see them again in the Torah Moshe. But I think it's a moment to pause and think about what are the lessons we're being taught? What is the idea behind writing down the tenth of Tammuz having the Jews in Bavel know from the Tent of Tamuz that the siege has begun, telling it to them. So yes, it's an exercise in proving the validity and the truth of the Prophet. That is, the Rambam, for example, thought was a lifelong, um, not struggle, but a lifelong element in a Prophet's career. So yes, it has that element to it. But I think there's something else, and I think it relates us to the Shiva of as well. Asarabit, the siege starts. Yermio is in, is in Israel giving prophecies all over the place. Yechezkel is in Babel giving prophecies. And the Jews aren't listening. And the start of the siege is a crucial moment when Jews could have paid attention. They could have sat up and taken notice and said, something new has happened here. We should be paying attention to this. And I think the same idea, only more... Um, more significantly, more worrisomely, more, with more urgency, because it's closer to the fuller destruction, comes the Shiva What does it mean that Moshe came down the mountain on the 17th of Tammuz and broke the Lucho? What does that symbolize? What does that show? What is the metaphor there? I think it's the idea of the inability to maintain a level one has reached the Jews heard of the giving of the Torah at Harsinai, they had that experience of directly hearing from God the giving of the Torah at Harsinai. They were at a very high level. The Jewish is they got, uh, they got crowns, and they had these crowns until, unfortunately, the Cheda Egel, but they had crowns for those 40 days. They're living at this very high level, and Moshe comes down and sees they didn't manage to keep it up. Even just for the 40 days, they got something wrong, they calculated it wrong, whatever it is that happened, but they got it wrong, and they lost it. So, too, what does it mean to have to to breach a situation where I mean the walls got breached is the easy one, right? The walls getting breached is that you had the security, especially in times before before air travel, you had the security of the city of of Jerusalem because the walls were fortified and strong and were going to stand against attack, and they got breached. So that security was no longer maintained. Think now about the burning of a sefer Torah. What does it mean the sefer Torah got burned? try to check uh yeah what do you mean the sacredr Torah got burned so again the Torah is supposed to be something that's sanctified to us and that we guard and we care about and we watch and we have it sanctity and we weren't able to maintain that then there's a b'heichal. there's a I'm sorry But there's another easy good example of it the Jews have been giving for hundreds hundred centuries they've been giving a daily sacrifice events happen and that's why I like the idea of the passive in the Mishnah. Events happen to them that make it impossible, right? So, Nishperu al-Nishtabu al lukot, the Lukot got broken, right? A, the Sefer Torah got burned. The Talmud got nullified, right? It's the idea that the Jewish people find themselves in situations where they can't maintain their previous levels. But I think the point is that while it seems to happen to them, and the same thing with the the idol being placed in the heichal. The heichal, the sanctuary, was a place of service of God. The idea that you have an idol there should have been horrifying, should have been impossible, and things get away from them. So my suggestion, my understanding is that Shavuot Sabitam was a fast day about seeing events come to a point where a standard of, of, not just of living, a standard of excellence that we have achieved, usually as a nation, comes to a point where it can no longer be maintained. And the question is, does that make us sit up and take notice? I think the same question comes up with, with Asar Abatebe, Right? With Asar Abatebe, does it make us sit up and take notice? And that's part of what Hashem is telling Yerchezkel, write it down because I want you to know that it's supposed to make you sit up and take notice. So if not making you sit up and take notice, there's something going wrong. So that's what I think That's what then theoretically, I don't know if you be really pushing it too far, but theoretically, in times of shalom, these lessons aren't as vital to be learned because in times of shalom, things are going well. So we seem to be in a situation in times of shalom. And we, our common practice is not to rely on this for various reasons. The year that you'll hear, you know, maybe once a year, but it's for various reasons. Our common practice is not to rely on these. But theoretically, it means that in times of peace, we don't have these. We don't seem to have messages that we miss, messages that were coming our way and predicting or warning of approaching troubles that we were ignoring, but that's what Shavasu was and Asar remind us of. In a happier version of that, I would relate that to what Mordechai says to Esther. One of the things that I've often been troubled by and spoken about often is that Esther, when the word comes out that Haman is planning to kill the Jewish people, the following Adar, the tradition is that it's eleven months later. And Mordecai starts fasting. And Esther wants to come in. He says, no, he won't. He has this plan. He should go to the king. And she doesn't say, I shouldn't go to the king. She says, I'm not allowed to go to the king. If the king sees me when I'm not allowed to go to him, he'll kill me right away or his guards will kill me right away. I haven't seen him in a month. The odds are he's going to call me. So that's what she seems to be saying. and, And we should just wait. And we'll have plenty of time. And I can always push the issue if in three months he hasn't called me, right? Yep, we, we have eight more months after that. That's her argument, it seems like. And it seems like it seems like it's a perfectly reasonable argument, and not an argument that denies or takes away from anything Mordecai had said. And yet, he reacts as if. She had just said, what do I care about the trouble of the Jewish people? Right? He says to her, you know, what do you think you're going to hide in the palace and this and this? Who knows? And this and your whole family and God will save the Jews some other way. What is Mordecai saying? I believe that Mordecai is saying to her when a time of trouble approaches, when we see it approaching, that's the time to treat it as an emergency. It's not a time to relax and say, you know, we'll sort of figure it out. That's the time to figure it, to treat it as an emergency. And that's what Mordechai is saying. And so he, they successfully did so. They treated the mercies then. They fasted then. Esther did a desperate plan as if it's their last thing. Then, that's my suggestion for what Shivos was was and Asar B'teim is telling us. I think, the, I think the Hatam Sofer, in his Torah Moshe, including the Torah Moshe in Devarim, a uh, drasha he gave for Asar v'teves, in eighteen twenty one, I'm sorry, it might be eighteen twenty. It's Tafkuf Kuf Pe'ala. So it might be it's probably eighteen twenty, the Asarvativas, right? Shabosamah Belakh Babel. And he quotes an Abujaha, which says the of Sharaya no is one of these fasts, is is an exceptional fast in the idea that if it happens on a Friday, we fast on a Friday. Sofis, according to says if it happens on a Shabbos, we would have fast on Shabbos. We have a fixed calendar, it can't work that way. And the reason we, he would think that is because the verse in Yechaz tells, tells Yechaz, Hashem tells Yechaz to write down etzem hayom azed, the essence of this day, that it means like there's an essence to the day, and that whenever the day happens calendrically, it's not meaning if Shabbos of as it will be this year, happens on a Shabbat, we fast on Sunday. But the Sarabite, it can't happen on a Shabbat as it happens, but we fast on the day and the Abu Draham was suggesting because the day is what was marked. The day itself is marked specifically in the Navi, in Yecheska. So, so why? Right? That's what Chassabat says. why? It's just the beginning of the siege. Right? There's two and a half years left. So he says, um, two and a half years, yes, and the Chorban, the actual destruction, is, is worse. So why don't I say that that should push aside Shabbat? So his answer is, the reason they make the fast about the siege was because Jerusalem was in siege several times. And so here, uh, it was two and a half years, and the day that it starts, then the Chatzem Sofer says, the heavenly court sat down to argue about the issue. Some people were in favor of helping the Jews, some people thought the Jews needed to be punished, until the punishing angels, the punishing discussion of the heavenly court won. So it says the Chatzem Sofer, Every generation, this is a reminder. Every generation, the not just is rebuilt. The Gemara says elsewhere, it's Yerushalmi and Yoma. I'm told that uh, it's as if it was destroyed in their time, meaning that any time we don't have it rebuilt, we should think of it that we're committing those same sins. And that's as he says that every year the destruction happens again, and every year you have this on a Sarbatevet, you have the same court figuring it out. she heal as korban. So in every generation that way. So in other words, he's saying that we're supposed to be experiencing the beginning of the discussion of what's going to happen. And every year we go through it again. To me, it comes back to what I said before. I think it's relevant to the same idea. That we're supposed to experience the time of trouble the moment it happens, see it coming and react to it. Just the, 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 the parallel that came to my mind just now um, and I often like the idea of things, which you mind while you're speaking because years ago I saw that the Maggid of Jerusalem or Shalom Shagran in the very nice uh, books by Rabbi Pesach Kron where he gives this, some of the stories of the, of the, of the Maggid of Jerusalem of the Shalom Shagran said that when he was speaking, if he got an idea, he assumed it was Hashem sending him. I don't have any confidence that I have the same level of uh, Hashem sending me stuff, but I like the idea. So the parallel that comes to me is that when people get a diagnosis of cancer, God forbid... They don't say, you know what? I'll wait and see what happens, and I'll. They react right away. We unfortunately don't always react right away when times of distress make themselves felt, make their appearance. And part of the problem is that we often deny that there are times of distress that we have to react to. So, Astarteavus is a siege. You would have hoped that a siege would wake people up. But in that time, while I'm sure they reacted to it. They didn't treat it as the absolute emergency it needed to be, and it did not, unfortunately, bring them to, uh, to identifying their true prophets, Yehoshua and Yirmiyahu, prominent among them, and listening to them faithfully. And it got us to the point of Vasara of sorry Shavasar where they saw things. Meaning, even if Shavasar Tammuz, the Jews don't then say, "Oh my gosh, we're doing the wrong thing. We have to completely do tshuva." All these events of Shavasar Tammuz, bring about some change, but not the kind of significant, uh, thoroughgoing change we would need. So, as we're thinking about pieces that can help us get back to times of like a uh, Pesach, times of redemption, times of consolation, I think and suggest that one of them is that we think about the lessons of the fast of Sh- Asar Abiteve, and then also the upcoming soon fast of Shavasu was to remind us that there can come times when things change for the worst and we might not notice them. We might let them slide. We might notice their significance and we'd be well advised to react more like Mordechai and that that can bring salvations like Purim and like Pesach and we can earn our way back to consolation. So that's another piece of the puzzle we're trying to build of how we get our way to consolation. I hope this is a productive piece for all of us. Thank you for joining and we'll see you next week for another discussion this time of the issues of people being overconfident about their ability to avert tragedies on the way. Today was about realizing they're coming. Next, we we'll talk about the danger of being overconfident in our ability to handle them. Thanks for joining. See you next time.